with that, I'd like to turn our attention to Second Chronicles. We've come as far as chapter 35, verse 20. And I presume at this point, all of you have your Bibles. And you also probably noticed we started this last Sunday and this Wednesday. Um, we have about a 25-minute worship um, time. Then what you have is a five-minute break. That's what you saw tonight where you can use the bathrooms, come and get some water, do different things. But then we meet back in here five minutes later. Preston comes up. He does the announcements. And then I come up and teach the word. And that way, on Sundays, it just keeps us a little bit, well, it keeps me a little bit more on track for time perspective. Certainly, I want the Holy Spirit to lead. But, but that's what you're noticing um, probably uh, changed in the last week here. So, well, as we look at Scripture here, in Second Chronicles chapter 35, we have been looking at Josiah, certainly a godly king. Um, last we left off with him, uh, he had one of the most amazing Passover feasts that the Lord had ordained and, and certainly put on his heart. And we read actually in chapter 35, uh, verse 18, that there had been no Passover kept in Israel like this since the days of Samuel the prophet. I mean, you, you think about that, right? I mean, we know Samuel lived somewhere between, he was born in 1070, he died in 1012. So somewhere in there would make it around 370 to 740 years because Josiah reigned in 640 BC. So just this awesome, godly reign, you know, so far, and just this awesome coming off the mountain, sort of coming off a spiritual high, if I can say that way, this beautiful feast of Passover. And then what we're going to read tonight and study is... Um, it just demonstrates that well-meaning, well-intentioned men, right, or women for that matter, obviously, um, not seeking the Lord in prayer, presuming upon God, can actually find ourselves drifting out of the will of God, even with a good motive, even with a good motive. Um, what's going to happen, and it's, it's striking. I don't know how many of you have read this passage or you're, you're aware of the historical context of this, but at this point, by... 635, 638, Assyria has begun to weaken. If you remember, Assyria was the greatest army on the face of the earth at that time, outside of certainly God's army. And they had already taken the northern tribes into captivity. Babylon is now on the scene. Assyria is getting ready to uh, be taken. At this point, Babylon's a vassal state for Syria. Assyria. But what's going to happen is very shortly, within very few year time, it's actually going to switch. Assyria is going to come off the scene, Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, and then the reign of Babylon is going to happen, and then the Babylonian captivity is going to happen, right, which begins right around 605, 607 um, BC. So again, we just talked about, you know, Josiah is at 640, so within 30 years, 25, a very short period of time that way. So as we start this chapter, what he's going to show us here, and specifically the Lord, in, in this idea is, first of all, Josiah didn't seek God in prayer. That's the first thing we're going to notice. The second thing is we're going to see that the irony of what's going to happen is that he is going to come against Egypt. Egypt is going to start to ally with Assyria because of Babylon and so he's actually going to go against the very hand that will ultimately be the people that's going to put Judah in captivity. And we're also going to learn that it was all God's doing because of the idolatry, the wickedness, and the judgment that had, uh, that had been going on 
um, in Judah that way. God was going to bring judgment. And so Josiah is looking at things from sort of this earthly perspective. And I think it's very much akin to what's happening today. And uh, I, I don't think I'll need to give much application as we read through this together. But we do read that there is a great tribulation coming. That we are living in the last of the last days. And we understand that there's nothing that we can do, I just want us to all hear this, to change that event or fact. God's judgment is holy and righteous because of a Christ-rejecting world. Okay? Revelation chapter 6 tells us it's the wrath of the Lamb. He doesn't desire anybody to go through the Great Tribulation, though. He wants people to get saved. We're going to see something very similar in regards to God's desire to save. God wants to have this revival with Judah. He doesn't want them to go into this judgment. But there's nothing that the people at that time, nor Josiah, nor their political leaders, nor the kings, nor anybody like that is going to do to stop this. Josiah couldn't be a political savior. Neither can Neither can our government and government figures. As you study these things, it, it really is alarming of just how we're in that same place again. Let's bow our heads, we'll pray, and we'll begin. Father, Lord, I, I pray you will speak mightily through your word tonight. Lord, I, I, uh, Lord, I, I need you to... Lord, I need you to speak to hearts here tonight. Lord, my heart, all of our hearts, as we gather and we start to learn, Lord, about your character and how you work, your desire, your love, how you want to save. But, Lord, you're also a very, very righteous and holy God. And while you're long-suffering, there's going to come a time when, Lord, you're going to bring judgment. And, Lord, I, I pray that n none of us are ever in the way of carrying out your perfect will, Lord. I don't think Josiah intended to do these things. No different than any of us who would here tonight. But, Lord, it just makes us slow down and think and pray about um, all the things that are happening around us. Things are moving so quickly, Lord. And if we don't stop to pray and to spend time in the Word and reflect devotionally, Lord, we could, we could be making these same mistakes, these same errors. God, I pray you'd protect us. I pray you'd protect us from these things. I pray you'd give us eyes to see and, eyes and ears to hear. And, Lord, you'd illuminate these things. And, Lord, we would have a hope. And, 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 and as these things begin to be carried out, Lord, as, as, as even our country begins a downward spiral, Lord, um, Lord, may our eyes be fixed on spiritual reform. May our eyes be fixed on salvation reaching the lost, Lord. May our eyes be fixed on discipling and strengthening those as we go through these last days. And may we do it with joy, Lord. God, that's what we need. We need a heart of joy. And we just pray, Lord, that men and women will see that in us and, Lord, be so ever attracted to that, to desire more of you, Jesus. We pray this in your mighty name, Jesus Christ, and all God's people pray. Amen. Yeah, it's a, it's a very heavy and sort of sobering chapter as we read this here tonight. Look at verse 20 with me. After all this, when Josiah had prepared the temple, Necho, a king of Egypt, 
came up to fight against Kershmish. Kershmish. I'll get it right. By the Euphrates. And Josiah went out against him. Now we read that, and again, it seems simple. I mean, Kershmish. I can't say the word right now. I've said it a hundred times. Tonight I can't say it with you. Um, At this point, as I mentioned, Assyria started weakening, Babylon's getting stronger, and Egypt comes to the aid of Assyria. That's what's really happening here. And Josiah sees this, and what he immediately does is he thinks he's going to come against Necho, right? The the king of Egypt. Meanwhile, what is Assyria, and who are they fighting against? The Babylonians. And who's going to ultimately conquer Judah? The Babylonians. Do you see how he's kind of working almost against him himself? And the king of Egypt is, what are you doing? We're not even attacking you. We're not attacking you, Josiah. And it says Josiah went out against him, but he sent messages to him saying, what have I to do with you, king of Judah? What's your problem? I've not come against you this day, but against the house with which I have war. For God commanded me to make haste. Since it's not your fight. Boy, oh boy. Just think about that today. It's not your fight, Josiah. Refrain from meddling with God. What's this king doing? This king of Egypt, he's actually saying that, thus saith the Lord. He's actually claiming to speak for God in this, and that he's telling him that God, this, this pagan king, is saying that our God, God, has come to him and told him, you're to go up and make war here. Because God's going to use Babylon. They're going to become the next ruling uh, government. He says, refrain from your meddling, and he says, with God. Now again, in fairness, if you were Josiah, I mean, think about this right here tonight. If you were Josiah and you saw this war breaking on, they're coming against Assyria, and you know that at this point, Judah's sort of a vassal state of Assyria already. You're thinking, well, I'm going to go against, I'm going to go, I don't want Syria to get stronger. I, I'm going to go against Egypt. But who's he really going against? God, because what's God's plan? God's plan is to bring judgment, isn't it? This is serious stuff. And just think about that for a minute. In the days we're living, the things we're seeing, we ought to be very careful of how we engage. We don't want to be out of the will of God. Is God allowing these things to happen? He says, who is with me, lest he destroy you? Who's going to destroy you? God's going to destroy you, right? Nevertheless, Josiah would not turn his face from him, but disguised himself so that he might fight with him. And he did not heed the words of Necho from, and we're told here, this the Holy Spirit tells us, from the mouth of God. He actually confirms that the king of Egypt was actually speaking, in this case, for God. Did you even know that was possible? That this pagan man? We read in our New Testament that it says that the governments and the the kings and the presidents, God allows those men and women to come into power that way. 
And many times it's to serve a purpose. And it's hard, isn't it? As, as Christians, and much like uh, Judah at this time, we're looking back and we're going, wait a minute. We want spiritual reform. We want to save this country. I don't think there's anything wrong with that in our heart. But what if that's not God's plan? What, what if, and I'm not saying it is, I'm not saying thus saith the Lord, but what if God's plan is a brokenness and a humility that would cause more people to turn to God than a time when everything's going so well and wealthy and things are so great that people don't think they need God at that moment? Did you know that in your Bibles you don't read about the United States of America? So he came to fight in the valley of Megiddo. That's a very interesting place, ultimately where one of the last battles will take place. And it's interesting that this needs to happen, God's plan for Babylon. It's ultimately to be used for correction. But Josiah is doing everything he can to stop it, isn't he? And yet God wants to use it for correction because the story's not going to end. The account's not going to end here. They're going to go into captivity. And there's going to be children that are going to come out. And we're going to read Jeremiah here tonight and look at what God had planned during that 70 years of captivity, what he actually wrote a letter through the prophet Jeremiah to the people to tell them to do during that 70 years. It was not to be wasted time. But after they come out of captivity, they come, again, he wrote this to the post-exilic people, the very people that Second Chronicles was written to that have come out of the captivity, that Ezra, we're going to go into next week, Lord willing, was written to, to warn them and tell them, don't commit the same idolatry your fathers have, and I'm not done with you. Messiah Jesus is going to come through the line of David, and God is still going to use Israel, and he's going to keep his promises. So yes, there was going to be this point of correction. There was going to be this point of devastation where everything might feel like it's falling apart to Judah. And absolutely, they're going to ruin and destroy the temple, everything that they held dear. But it was all being done to do what? To change hearts. What if Josiah would have mounted his army up and said, no, we have to, we have to stop this. Who are you fighting against? Who are you fighting against? God. I don't know what this means for us today. But I don't believe in coincidences. We're in these passages. In two weeks, we have an election. It's our, what I believe, Christian responsibility to vote. We still have an opportunity to do that with a democracy and a republic to vote for men and or women that line up with Scripture. But whatever comes of that, that's not our, it's not our problem. We're here to reach souls for Jesus Christ. 
We're not here to save a country. Now, sometimes we can do both. I don't know. I don't know what God has. But it is interesting, and we should be praying is the most important part, to seek God's direction in these times, not just assume it's the right thing to do. And that's what it's sort of opening my eyes to. Verse 23, and the archers shot King Josiah, and the king said to his servants, take me away, for I am severely wounded. There's a consequence, isn't there, to not listening to God. His servants therefore took him out of the chariot and put him in the second chariot that he had, and they brought him to Jerusalem. So he died and was buried in one of the tombs of his fathers, and all of Judah and Jerusalem mourned for Josiah. Why did all this happen again? Because he was out of the will of God. God allows his death, certainly knows he's going to be with him. But he should have prayed. He should not have neglected prayer. At a time like this, this is the time we need to be on our knees praying. There needs to be more prayer meetings. And says they mourned. Jeremiah, this is also contemporary with Zephaniah, if you're reading the Minor Prophets. Jeremiah also lamented for Josiah, that is Jeremiah the prophet. And to this day, all the singing men and the singing women speak of Josiah in their lamentations. They made it a custom in Israel, and indeed they are written in the laments. Now the rest of the acts of Josiah and his goodness, according to what was written in the law of the Lord and his deeds, from first to last, indeed, they are written into the book of the kings of Israel Judah. Now, from this point on, within 22, well, 22 and a half years or so, roughly, Babylon's going to come in one of three excursions or conquests to put and bring Judah into captivity. It's already been put in motion. And there's nothing that Josiah could have done to stop it. And there's nothing uh, that anyone can do to stop and to, to stop in motion God's plan. And that, I believe that's a good thing. I believe it's a good thing. He's the Ancient of Days. And that also means that those that are saved, and he said one day that he would come again, that also doesn't change. There's a consistency to that as well. He's going to come and rapture us. He's going to remove us. So we don't need to go through that great tribulation because that tribulation, again, the great tribulation is for who? For a Christ-rejecting world, not for the bride, not for the bride of Christ. Right? I'm just relating it to our days here today. Well, let's look at chapter 36, this last chapter of the book. Then the people of the land took Joaz, the son of Josiah, and made him king in his father's place in Jerusalem. Joaz was 23 years old when he became king, and he reigned three months. The other thing we start to see is the picking up of how quick this is going to happen. Before it was 40 years, 30 years, they're reigning. We'll see two other kings with 11 years and 11 years. But the reality is it, the movement and the momentum begins to increase faster and faster. These things are happening. You know, I think if we all had a similar sediment in the days we're living, it does seem like things are just moving at such a pace like we've never seen before. It's such a downward spiral. I mean, just even more evil and wicked and perverted, the things that people are saying and doing today. Did you see the other day they had the, 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 the transgender man go and go to the White House and have an audience with the president? And 
and literally talking about how he wants to affirm more of these things for children and different people. You know, to me, that's the definition of child abuse. We, we've gone to, in this country to such a polarity of where we used to protect our children to now allowing our children to go through surgeries at such a young age, and they don't even understand what's happening yet. It, it's the definition of child abuse. And, and there has been men and women that have gone through these, and years later, now they're coming out and saying, what, what did my mother, father, what did, why did somebody let me do this? And now they're living with lifelong pain because of trying to reverse these physical surgeries. I mean, we're talking about surgeries here. I mean, it wasn't too long ago when we studied, you know, you look at other countries. We look at Iran and Pakistan and these other countries where they would, they would do terrible things to women. You know, mutation, you know, they would take genitals and they would just do terrible things. And now everybody around the world said, that is abuse, that is wrong. And they were doing it to young girls, too. And everybody cried against it. And how quickly have we gotten to this place? Just 15 years. Not even that long. Some say 10. So now in our own country, you can go to one state or another and without your parents' permission and just a little something and you can go get one of these transgen... No support. Where are the men standing in the gap? Where are these doctors, these men, these women saying, this is wrong? But it, it's just like it's, it, we read it here. He reigned three months. He didn't reign 50 years because it's moving. It's, the momentum is, is, is already in motion. And it says three months in Jerusalem. Now the king of Egypt disposed him, or deposed him, excuse me, I meant to say, at Jerusalem. And he imposed the land a tribute of 100 talents of silver and a talent of gold. He's, he's talking the, basically that he, he becomes a vassal to Egypt and they put a tax on him. That's what happens with Necho because of what happened with Josiah. Then the king of Egypt made Jehoaz brother Elohim king over Elohim, king over Judah and Jerusalem and changed his name to Jehoiakim, right? Which means established by the Lord. The irony there. And Necho took Jehoaz, his brother, and carried him off to Egypt. Three months. Now, verse 5, Jehoiakim, or Elohim, as we just read, this is right around 609 B.C. The prophet Habakkuk is the contemporary prophet by this point. He's 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord his God. Can you believe this? Certainly you can, because you're living in a time just like it, where you see evil and you see what you can't explain. I mean, we, we literally have people in government that can't have coherent conversations. And I don't care where you come from politically. I'm not political. I'm simply stating fact. And yet nobody, I mean, very, very few people are saying, I'm, 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 there's a problem here. I mean, and, and you go back to our history, and yet when we saw those things before, out of love and out of care, not out of a wicked spirit, but out of love and care, we said, no, 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 please, we need to help this person. We just had a... Uh, did, <laughs> verse 6. <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up against him and bound him in bronze fetters to carry him off 
to Babylon. So we see one of the conquests beginning here, right around 605, 607 BC, one of the first conquests. Nebuchadnezzar comes up against Judah, starts taking them into captivity. Nebuchadnezzar also carried off some of the articles of the house of the Lord of ba uh, to Babylon and put them in the temple at Babylon. Now the rest of the acts of Jehoiakim, the abominations which he did, what was found against him, indeed, they are written in the book of the kings, first and second kings, of Israel and Judah. Then Jehoiakim, his son, reigned in his place. So who would have been included in that? I just made a note in my Bible. It would have been Daniel and um, Ezekiel. They would have been, we know them as, as prophets in our scriptures. They would have been carried off in this first captivity as well. Now we're at about 5, like I said, 597 B.C. Verse 9, Jehoiakim was, Jehoiakim was eight years old. Some of your Bibles say. We know that's a, a textual typo. We know it's actually 18. How do we know that? Because we read it also in 2 Kings chapter 24, verse 18. And probably some of you in your margin for translation, if you look down on the bottom, you could see, hey, well, it says in this text or in this text it reads... 18 years of age. So we know this is it. I'm glad this is in here. I'm glad that somebody didn't come in here and strike that out. Oops. No, the, there was great honor taken to cop by the copyists, by the, by the rabbis, by those that would copy these things to write them. And if there was an error, that was left. But we are able to cross-reference scripture to know it wasn't eight, it was 18 years of age. And some people say, oh, you see that? That's why the Bible is not trustworthy. Really? You've never forgot to put a one or a zero somewhere? That doesn't make it untrustworthy. That makes it a mistake because it's still a human that was copying it. It doesn't take away from the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Amen? So it doesn't change anything. When he became king and he reigned in Jerusalem three months and ten days and he did evil in the sight of the Lord... At the turn of the year, King Nebuchadnezzar summoned him and took him to Babylon with the costly articles from the house of the Lord and made Zedekiah, Jehoiakim's brother, king over Judah and Jerusalem. Did I just reread that one passage there? Verse 11. Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. So again, 597, because it was such a short span. He did evil, verse 12, in the sight of the Lord his God, and did not humble himself before Jeremiah the prophet, who spoke from the mouth of the Lord. And he also rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar and made him swear an oath by God. But he stiff-necked, he stiffened his neck and hardened his heart against turning to the Lord God of Israel. Moreover, all the leaders of the priests and all the people transgressed. Talking about the spiritual leadership condition at that time. More and more, according to all the abominations of the nations, and defiled the house of the Lord, which is consecrated in Jerusalem. Now, you read this, and in verse 13, when it says he rebelled, what is he rebelling from? What was going on? Hold your finger here and turn to Jeremiah chapter 21. If you go to Jeremiah chapter 21, we'll, we'll begin to understand. God, through the prophet Jeremiah, actually told him that this was going to happen. And he actually said, go along with it. Don't fight back. Because if you do, it's going to be basically death to you and death to all those with you. Go along. They're going to bring you into captivity. You're going to be provided for there. Don't rebel in this situation, right? Jeremiah chapter 21, look at verses 3 through 10 here. Then Jeremiah said to them, thus you shall say to Zedekiah, 
Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Behold, I will turn back the weapons of war that are in your hands with which you fight against the king of Babylon and the Chaldeans who besiege you outside the walls, and I will assemble them in the midst of the city. I myself will fight against you with an outstretched hand and with a strong arm, even in anger and fury and great wrath. There's no mystery to why this is happening. It's because of the idolatry, and he's, God is making it very clear. He is the author of this wrath, and it's not Babylon. Babylon's just an instrument. I will strike the inhabitants of the city, both man and beast. They shall die of great pestilence. And afterwards, says the Lord, I will deliver Zedekiah, king of Judah, his servants and the people and such as left in the city from the pestilence and the sword and the famine into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, into the hand of the enemies and into the hand of all those who seek their lives. And he shall strike them with the edge of the sword. He shall not spare them or have pity or mercy. Now you shall say to this people, thus says the Lord, behold, I set before you the way of life. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. The way of life and the way of death you choose. He who remains in this city shall die by the sword, by famine, by pestilence. But he who goes out and defects to the Chaldeans who besiege you shall live. He told them. And his life shall be a prize to him, for I have set my face against this city for adversity and not for good, says the Lord. It shall be given unto the hand of the king of Babylon, and he shall burn it with fire. While we're there, turn to chapter 32, please. Look at verse 5 with me. Again we read, Then he shall lead Zedekiah to Babylon, and then there he shall be until I visit him, says the Lord. Though you fight with the Chaldeans, you shall not succeed. Again, it was told to him. Um, turn back, or sorry, turn two chapters over to chapter 34, uh, verse 2. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, go and speak to Zedekiah, king of Judah, and tell him, thus says the Lord, behold, I will give this city into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he shall burn it with fire. Is there any mystery here? <laughs> Is God grammatically challenged? He told them what was going to happen, didn't he? He not, he not only told the king, Zedekiah, but he also told the people, hey, if you go and you go along with this, and you don't fight and stay with the sword or try to stay back, but you operate in my plan and go into captivity, which I'm going to bring you for 70 years, it will be life to you. But if you choose to dig in, if you choose to fight back, if you choose to operate against my will and my provisions for you, then you will die. He makes that very, very clear here. And it says in, back in verse 13, chapter 36, where it says he rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar. Who's he really rebelling against? God. Who did Josiah rebel against in that way? God. Is it wrong to say it's a spiritual problem? Most of the issues and the, the, the problems we have today, whether it's in government, in our homes, with our children, with our parents, things that are happening, most of the time there's spiritual problems. Are we obeying? Are we listening? Are we following the will of the Lord? Are we in obedience to God? Or are we doing things our way and then we somehow expect God to bless that? 
Did Zedekiah think, well, we're Judah. I mean, the Davidic covenant after all. How's God going to fulfill his plan? He needs us. No. It's in spite of you. It's for his glory and his name. Look at verse 15 in chapter 36. And the Lord God, and by the way, this is around 592 BC here. Again, Ezekiel is a prophet already to the captives over there in the land that have been taken. Uh, verse 15, it says, And the Lord God of their fathers sent warnings <laughs> to them by his messenger. Who were his messengers? Micah, Isaiah, Zephaniah, Jeremiah, Habakkuk. All the contemporaries during this time. He said, rising up early and sending them because he had, please underline this in your Bible, it's so important, compassion for whom the Lord loves, he corrects. This is out of love. Some of you are saying, love me less. No, this kind of compassion we need. We know we need this kind of love because it's honest, it's real, and it's a trans it causes a transformation of heart. I need this. It says he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. God is not doing this because he's an absentee parent. He's doing this because he wants to correct his kids. Just like a good mother or father would do on earth. They want to correct their kids. Your kid goes to touch a flame on the fire or maybe on the stove or you, you, what are you going to do? Oh, please, I'm going to count to five, five, five. They'll burn themselves by then. What do you do? You might react. Yeah, slap the hand. Get the hand out of there. Oh, you abused me. No, I just saved you from getting a third degree burn. People don't talk like that no more. And that's why we're in the predicament we're in. That's why this nation's in the problems and trouble we're in. Because of compromise. God by allowing these things to happen. And even as in this day, the days that we're living, is because he's reaching out to humanity and saying, turn from your wicked ways. I love you. I want to redeem you. Just come unto me, all of you who are heavy laden. I'm, I'm going to give you rest. That's what he wants to do. But they mocked the messengers of God, despised his words, and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of God, or until the wrath of the Lord rose against his people till there was no remedy. And we see that today, don't we? Mocking God's people today, it's the same thing. Judgment's coming. Therefore he brought against them the king of the Chaldeans, Babylon, who killed their young men with a sword in the house of their sanctuary, had no compassion. You want this? I'm going to give you what you want. You don't want a compassionate God? You don't want a God of love, truth? I'll give you exactly what you want. I'll give you somebody that'll slaughter your kids right before your eyes. I'll give you somebody that you wanted an economy. I'll implode your, I'll give you someone that's going to implode your economy, your life, your comfort, your retirement, everything you trusted in your social network. I'll take it right out on you. I'll give you, you want these things because this is what they're promising you on earth? Let's, let's see how it works out. I mean, that's what we're reading. It's not any different. And yet we're living it again today, aren't we? Because we got to humble ourselves. We got to humble ourselves and, and turn to the Lord. 
Well, this Babylonian Nebuchadnezzar, he had no compassion on the young men or virgin, on the aged or the weak. He gave them all into his hand and all the articles from the house of God, great and small, the treasures of the house of the Lord, the treasures of the king of the leaders and all, and all these he took to Babylon. Then they burned the house of God broke down the wall of, of Jerusalem, burned all its palaces with fire. Before this happens, if you read in Ezekiel, I, I, the chapter, I don't have it off the top of my head right now, um, we see that the presence of the Lord actually starts to lift. It comes out of the sanctuary, comes out to the pillars, and then finally begins to lift up into the cloud, demonstrating that the presence of God was no longer in that place. Ezekiel tells us that. And by this point, now it's just an empty building. A building filled, filled of wickedness. There's, there's nothing about the Lord in that building any longer. Because they removed his presence. I think that's happened to some churches today. I think, they've, I think some churches have removed the Bible, removed God's presence. I think schools have done that. Or want, were surprised. They burned all its palaces with fire and destroyed all its precious possessions. And those who escaped from the sword he carried away to Babylon, where they became servants to him, his sons, until the rule of the kingdom of Persia. To fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, Jeremiah 29, if you ever wonder what he's talking about there, until the land he had enjoyed her Sabbath. As long as she lay desolate, she kept Sabbath to fulfill the 70 years. You might be This is another reason. It wasn't just the idolatry, but also... At that time, if you remember, every seven years you would allow the land to rest. And then in the sixth year, God gave a double portion so that you had enough food for your seventh year. What we read here is they didn't keep that. So you see 70 times seven, because every seven years you're supposed to rest it, is how many years? 490 years, right? So clearly it would have been 490 years back. And so what he's saying is he's going to bring them into the land because of this disobedience, he's going to bring them into another land, and he's going to give Jerusalem rest for 70 years to honor those Sabbaths that they didn't willingly obey and do. That, that's what we read here. And all because of disobedience, this judgment comes. Now, when we read verse 22, it almost, it's interesting, we could have taken this portion, I mean, the Lord's certainly perfect the way he did it, but we could have put it right at the beginning of, of uh, Ezra, the book of Ezra, because there's a 70-year gap. There's a 70-year gap between verse 22 and where we just left off in verse 21. Now, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, this is the Medes and Persians, after the Babylonians, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing, saying, Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, all the kingdoms of the earth, the Lord, has, the Lord God of heaven has given to me, and he's commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Who is among you of all his people? May the Lord his God be with him and let him go up. And so that begins our, our time in Ezra next week, uh, should the Lord tarry. I mean, what do we learn here? And I'm going to take us to one other passage before I close. We're a little bit over, but one thing that's important, he wants everybody to understand, you want idols? I'll, I'll give you to, I'll give you over your idols to the point of where it makes you sick. Where it makes you sick. You know? 
Turn, turn in your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 29, please. I just want to read you this, this letter, this letter of encouragement. And I, I imagine that 70 years, it's a long time, huh? 70 years to be in captivity that way, away from your land, don't know anything. This is Jeremiah's letter to the captives that he wrote that went over to Babylon for the Babylonian captivity. And, and God didn't have to do this. God didn't have to put this on his heart. But again, he's a compassionate God. Look at verse 3. The letter was sent by the hand of Elish, the son of Shaphan, Gamariah, the son of Hilkiah, uh, Hilkah, Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all who were carried away captive, whom I've caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and dwell in them. Plant gardens and eat their fruit. See, this is what he desired. This is what he wants. This is why he said, don't fight. Go, I have a better plan. Second best results in death. But God's first best, or his, his primary, go. He says, I want, I want you to take wives. I want you to beget sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands so that they may bear sons and daughters, that you may be increased there and not diminished. And seek the peace of the city where I've caused you to be carried away captive. And pray to the Lord for it. For in its peace you will have peace. You mean God can bring peace to a dictatorship? Yes. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets or your diviners who are in your midst deceive you. Nor listen to your dreams which cause you to be which you cause to be dreamed for they prophesy falsely to you in my name i have not sent them says the lord for the lord says that or for thus says the lord after 70 years are completed at babylon i will visit you and perform my good word toward you and cause you to return to this place that's a good word right that's that's encouragement that's hope he's telling them what's going to happen but what was this promised return all about why did why did god so put this on jeremiah the prophet's heart to write this to the captives and to those in babylon what was he trying to communicate in the midst of this downward spiral in the midst of this time what do you think the normal human reaction is to pull away and become nomadic or a hermit or something else where we, we become less involved, stop living our lives. Everything's changed, so we, we, we have to stop living. And it's exactly the opposite of what God told them to do during this time. What did he say? Settle down and build houses. Build homes. Sow crops, produce food. Have children and families that your numbers don't decrease. Be a good witness a good citizen, again, unless the country you live in asks you to do something contrary to Scripture. Pray to God. Pray and intercede for your friends, for family, and for community. What he's teaching us, and I believe it's for these days we're living now. You know how you change the hearts of the nation? I, I, I'm, I'm telling you, go out and vote in two weeks. You need to do that as Christians. But you really want to know how you do that? You're not going to change the hearts of the nation by who you elect in government. I, I want, I'm going to say that right from here. I know, I know that's not popular. Just like there's a woke gospel, there's, there's a social gospel, there's also a political gospel going on in churches around here too. 
That's not from the Lord. You change hearts in a nation, and you'll change their politics. You do it one heart at a time. You do it through salvation. You do it by reaching hearts. And when you get enough, when enough people are saved, guess what? Enough people in the land want to change the politics of the land. It's not a top-down approach. It's a bottom-up from the Lord, working through his many hands and members, his feet. Again, it's contrary to what's being preached today. You'll change their politics one soul and one heart at a time. God has a plan. Let's fulfill it. Right? We're called to obedience. They were called to obedience, weren't they? In their captivity. They were called to continue to live, to continue to pray. And so, no matter what befalls us, no matter how these elections go, I do pray that godly men get in and we have a respite. I'm not, I don't want you to think I'm not a patriot. I, I do pray for those things. But I'm not looking for a political savior. I'm looking up because my redemption's drawing nigh, and I'm looking for Jesus Christ, my savior. And that's what we're all to be doing. And we're to be loving people, investing in them, and changing one heart at a time until he does come. And it doesn't matter what this world around us looks like. Whether we're brought and put into captivity before the great tribulation or whether things stay setters paribus, right? Latin, all things held constant, staying the same. We're indifferent to that because our mission and our commission hasn't changed. Amen? Amen. And the musicians come up. These are heavy things. Pray about these things. Again, pray through these things. Look at biblical examples. It just reminds me years ago, Ken Ham put together, you know Ken Ham's answers in Genesis? He put together this cartoon uh, picture. I wish I could find it. If somebody finds it, please uh, bring, bring, me up, bring it up to me. It was a depiction of all the things going on, abortion, um, social, at that time, what we would call social justice today, all of these different issues. And there was a guy, and he has a Bible in his hand, but he's got his hand on the gun, and he's shooting at all these issues. And meanwhile, Satan is undercutting the whole thing because it's all a distraction. And what he's doing on the back end is trying to remove faith in the word of God and trustworthiness in God's plan. And he's got us shooting at all these other things, and we forget that we're here to worship the Lord and to bring men and women to Jesus Christ. That, you with me? You understand? I'm not saying that any of those other things are wrong. We get behind those things. We march against abortion. We do all those absolutely important. But our, the main focus is salvation. All right? Sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Will you stand if you're able, please? Father, I, I pray, Lord, if there's anything of me here today, I pray, Lord, you would just remove it from the hearts and minds of your people. But, Lord, I pray if I was faithful to your word and faithful to, um, Lord, what, what you have anointed, God, that we would think about these things. We'd pray about these things and what that means and how we redeem the time. Because, Lord, we, we know we don't have unlimited amount of time. You are coming, and you're coming soon. 
And so, Lord, how, how can we be in your perfect will? How can we make sure we're not caught up in all of these other things that may be good motives, maybe even right, but, Lord, you don't have it maybe for us. Maybe you have it for someone. Maybe you have, Lord, we just desire to hear your still small voice. Lord, we desire to be faithful. We desire to be that remnant, Lord. That church of Philadelphia is simple and small, Lord, but yet powerful and mighty because we never gave up the word and we never gave up our love for you, Jesus Christ. So, Lord, I pray a strength and a hope. And, Lord, I do pray for this country. I pray, God, that you would give us a respite from this wicked and evil. I pray for our president, Lord. I pray for our, our, our governor in this state. I pray for all the governors in all the states, Lord. I pray for uh, the presidents and all around the world, Lord. I still pray. We lift up Ukraine to you, Lord. That battle and war is still going on. Jesus Christ, we pray for divine appointments. We pray for salvation. We pray for discipleship, Lord. Please, Jesus Christ, let us... Let's pray through these things. Count the cost, Lord. We ask this in your mighty name. Jesus, receive our worship. We're ever so thankful, Lord. In your name, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.